Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Offline Gamer. I'm Matt. And I'm Ray. And this month we are coming to you from the Great Indoors 2018. We are on location. Woohoo! Yeah. We've, we've got a nice little room next to uh, the Parkside Suite uh, in Bromsgrove where the Great Indoors is currently taking place as we speak. There's lots of bare walls in this room, so this might be a bit echoey, but uh, if it is a bit too much, I apologise. I'll try and get rid of as much of it in post as I can. Um, but yeah, we're here, and uh, so far we've been here a few hours, and it's pretty packed in there, isn't it? Yeah, uh, pretty much all the tables are occupied yeah. at this point. Started fill- properly proper filling up at about midday, because um, there were a few empty tables when we first got here. But now there seem to be not much spare. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. We'll um we'll go out and grab people later. Um, Pete to tell us now how it's going, and there's a few other people here we want to get on the podcast. So I'll keep their identities a secret for now. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> um, let's do our usual bits and bobs then while we're here. So uh, first thing is um, this is very important for me. Mm-hmm. This particular piece of news. So, I like Flux games, as everyone knows. Yep. And you would think the thing that would get me probably the most excited would be a Flux game that's got some kind of food-related theme. But Maybe. Yeah, but that's not actually what's happening. Looney Labs announced this month that they are bringing out two new Star Trek Flux games. Mm-hmm. Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation. Yep. Which I, I cannot wait. My friend Wayne, who I... Actually saw last weekend because I went down to his uh, sci-fi palooza in uh, Kings Langley yeah. near London, and um, he told me that he'd actually contacted them because he still does, does the Star Trek podcast, Trekmates that I used yeah. to be on, and he told me that um, he'd actually got some review copies coming. Oh. So he's asked if I want to do a sort of Togcast Trekmate team up, team up, team up review type thing. So uh, yes, keep your eyes open for that. Cool. Nice bit of cross collaboration there. Yeah. Don't know what mechanically there is different um, about them, but there is Starflux, so I'd imagine that a lot of the things in Starflux they'll obviously just be more re- official. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just like you've got the random Scottish engineer. It's like, well, that's yeah. obviously going to be Scotty now, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to that. I should say before we carry on, there's a corridor right outside this room, so apologies if you hear any random voices in the background. Yeah. Uh, or well, also the I say the event is taking place right next door as well, so you might mm-hmm. hear some. If someone has a particularly good game or something, you might hear a cheer. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the other piece of news that uh, I thought we should discuss is the 2018 Dice Tower Awards, which the Dice Tower announced at Dice Tower Con a couple of weeks ago. Yep. So we've got a list of all the nominees and the winners, so let's go through that. The first award was Best Small Publisher. Uh, the winner of that was Gloomhaven, beating out Seventh Continent. Now, every single time they said Azul in the podcast, I wanted to correct them, but of course I couldn't. Mm-hmm. So it's currently, is it Athul? Yeah. No, it's close enough. Uh, Century, Spice Road and Sagrada, so as I say, Gloomhaven won that one. Um, not played Gloomhaven, so I'm no, not, me um, neither. No, it's too big for me. Yeah. If somebody else wants to explain it, who's played it a few times, then maybe I'll play with them. But I'm not going to buy it myself. Yeah. It's too. It's too big, and it'll take me forever to figure it out. Um. So the best new designer 
also went to Gloomhaven. Mm. Uh, that beat Dragon Castle, Photosynthesis, Spirit Island, and Too Many Bones. Again, I haven't played any of those. No, we saw a few of them at UKG. Yeah. Oh, we should say, actually, for the first one, we have played Sagrada and Century Spice Road, haven't we? Yes, we have. Uh, Century Spice Road is the first one, isn't it? Yes. So that's the one that you've got, the Golem Edition, version. which is it's the same game, just reskinned. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we've played, we played Sagrada and, and Century. Didn't Gloomhaven come out last year, though? Ah, they, they, have, they have a big thing where they talk about that people moan about when the games have come out. And they address it, but I don't okay. know what it was. But yeah, they do they do say that. I think they say something like, although it came out at a certain date, it wasn't really generally available until a few weeks later, which right. pushed, pushes it into this year. Right, okay. Uh, best production values. Uh, in this game, you had uh, Athul, Charterstone, Twilight Imperium 4, Wasteland Express Delivery Service. Uh, but the winner was Photosynthesis. Again, I don't know a lot about most of those games. Wasteland Express Delivery Service, I'm sure we've seen, though, a few times. Yeah, Charterstone's like the legacy scratch-away, build-up-the-boards, put-stickers-on-it thing, which then you can play once you've finished the board. So once you've built your Charterstone, you can then keep playing it as the final product. So you can play it legacy and then regular afterwards. Right, okay. Photosynthesis is the one with all the trees. The best game expansion, the runner-up contenders are, were Champions of Midgard, Valhalla, Scythe, The Wind Gambit, Terraforming Mars, Venus Next, Zia. I guess so. Embers of a Forsaken Star. Uh, the winner was Star Wars Rebellion, Rise of the Empire. Star Wars Rebellion is very popular at the moment, though. It's not a massive surprise, I don't mm. think. I haven't played any of the I played space games. Um, but I don't know what's in the expansion. Fair enough. A bit too heavy for me when I played. I'll, I'll probably play it again now that I understand the the rules, but I found it difficult. To, mm. I've said that on the podcast before. I struggled the first time I played it. So, uh, Best artwork. Okay, so um, Century Golem Edition, which we just said we played. Very yep. nice artwork. Uh, Charterstone, Lisboa. Mm-hmm. And Yamatai, which is a very cartoony sort of yeah, and bright, bright, yeah, very bright, very. Like I said before, it's very similar to Five Tribes. So. Yeah, uh, but the winner was Near and Far. Isn't that yeah. that storytelling game that was on Kickstarter, the sequel to Above it's, and Beyond? Yeah, I think it's Above and Below. Below, and then Near and Far. The uh, at least from the Kickstarter, it did have very nice artwork. Yeah, but then so do the other ones. That's true. That's why they were all in the category. Yep. Uh, for most innovative game, we're, there was Charterstone, Drop Mix, Fog of Love, Gloomhaven. However, Seventh Continent was the overall winner. That was a very, very popular Kickstarter, wasn't it? Yes, Didn't it Gareth was. Back that? I th- think maybe. Yeah. I think I was tempted, but I think um, I didn't go for it. Because it looked a bit too much for me. And I think I got the impression that you sort of had to have some pre-existing knowledge of something. Okay. I can't remember. Fog of Love we played, though. Yep. Um, I mean, that is innovative. I mean, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Building up a relationship and 
trying to keep everyone happy. Yeah. So best two-player game. The winner for that was Santorini, beating out Caverna, Cave versus Cave, Codenames Duet, Fog of Love, and The Fox in the Forest. Um, Codenames Duet is the only one I think we've played. Have we played Duet? No, we don't no, have that, do we? We yeah. just have regular We haven't played Duet, but we've played Fog of Love. Yeah. Um, we've seen Caverna sort of around. I have not seen... The Fox in the Forest. I've got though. no idea what that is. I've, I've never heard of it. Okay, I'm sure someone's sitting there at home listening, thinking, so yeah, How can you know what that is? For goodness sake. So, best game reprint the winner was Downforce, which beat Colosseum, Nemo's War, Stop Thief, and Twilight Imperium 4. Could you count Twilight Imperium 4 as a. Can you count TI4 as a reprint? Because it's just the fourth edition of the game, but they make changes to it. Mind you, I'm guessing. I'm guessing even Downforce. I mean, it's not a complete reprint of the original game. They have updated the rules because Downforce yeah. is quite an old game. So because I've got the reprint of Nemo's War. Yeah. Um, and it, they also sort of call, they also call it the second edition. Yeah. So. Well, I guess if if it depending on how it um, was first published, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. Because so. if it was first published in like limited numbers, like then you might as well make a second edition and like learn from feedback. Yeah. Change some rules that didn't make sense, that sort of thing. Best party game. Uh, we've got Meeple Circus. Don't know what that is. Rhino Hero Super Battle. I do know that. Good fun. It's all with the little monkeys that you have to put on. Mm. Uh, Where Words. Word Slam. But the winner was Magic Maze. Not clue. No, we've both got blank looks on our faces there. We obviously need to get out more or stay in more. Or stay in, the yeah, but have have more friends. Yeah, play more games. We're not really party game people, though. No. Uh, so best family game, some good uh, challenges here. Yeah. There was Baron Park, Century Spice Road, Downforce, Sagrada. Um, however, the winner was Athul. I mean, that would be great if... You could actually get a copy. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a bit scarce at the moment, isn't it? Yes. I think a lot of people... I think when they do their 2E, uh, that will... If they do it crowdfunded, that will probably fund in about an hour yeah. or less. I think that will be very widely sought after if, when, if and when they do a reprint or a second run or whatever. Yeah. Best co-op game then, uh, we had Seventh Continent, Flip Ships, uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, Spirit Island, but the winner was Gloomhaven, which is the third award for Gloomhaven mm. as we go down the list. It's definitely winning a lot of things, isn't it? Yeah, but it won a lot of things last year as well, even like it was on it was on the BGG hotness list at the top pretty much yeah. all of all of last year and it was in all the lists of most anticipated game of 2017 and all this stuff um so it's very interesting how people put it in their 2017 and 2018 lists yeah. um whatever never mind um best strategy game are you surprised no at this point it's no. gloomhaven it beat anachrony Dinosaur Island, Near and Far, and Spirit Island. Dinosaur Island, which I've got, but haven't even played yet. It's a common mm. theme with me. 
But all, all four of those runner-ups, I suppose, um, they all seem to have very uh, well-built games and quite nice yeah. art as well. Best game theming. Uh, so the runners-up for this were Ex Libris, which I would assume is a game about books or something. Yeah, books or libraries, probably. Yeah, all I can think of is the library software they use at work because that's by a company called Ex Libris. Yeah, it? I think Ex Libris technically means from the library. Yeah. Oh, is so it li- you... Libris? Am I saying it wrong? Yeah. Okay, Libris then. Um, yeah, because if you want a book plate, if you buy like, book plates, you put Ex Libris, and then your name, it would mean from the library of... Matt Warwick. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, Near and Far, Photosynthesis and Spirit Island. And the winner was actually This War of Mine, the board game of the computer game. Computer game, yeah. Where you're um, survivors in like a a war-stricken country. Yeah. Where all the buildings have been torn down and you've got to scavenge for supplies and things like Mm. that. So, yeah, okay. I've not played the... uh, physical game but I've played the computer game a fair amount and it's pretty gritty mm. so I think the board game is more of the same I would imagine so um, so the ultimate game of the year mm, let's see I wonder what this could be let's hear what the nominations were right? Yeah, some of the no- nominations include Seventh Continent mm. Century Spice Road Charterstone Dinosaur Island Near and Far Pandemic Legacy Season 2, Sagrada, Spirit Island, and A Thule. What was the winner, eh? What was the thing that wasn't in that list? Hmm. Hmm. Was it Gloomhaven? Yes, it was. Yay! So Gloomhaven took five awards home from Dice Tower, from the Dice Tower. I don't know if they get little plaques or what. I only listened to the podcast. I didn't see the video. Uh, I bet. I wonder if they get like little glass awards, that kind of maybe, thing. Maybe, yeah. Because they get little certificates at UKG, don't they? Yes. I think, yeah. It's to go towards their decorating of their new offices. Because I assume they've probably gone up in the world since they started making Gloomhaven. Yeah, probably. Probably. Okay, that is the news. Let's move on to what we've been up to since the last episode. I've not really played a lot, but I've played more than you have. Yeah, I haven't played a lot at all. Um, I went on holiday. And while I did take some games with me, we are all a bit distracted by it being nice weather. Yay. So went and swam in the sea and all this sort of nonsense instead of playing games. It was far too hot to stay indoors. So I've been keeping up with my Pandemic Legacy campaign with mm-hmm. my friends who I play that with. Um, we are in September now, and there were okay. some interesting things going on. can't say too much, obviously, but we've, we've got some more new characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually lost our first game in September. So next game we'll be playing the second attempt at that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's it's getting the storyline is really evolving. Mm-hmm. So uh, can't say much more than that at this stage. Interested to see what direction it's going to take. Yeah. Um, but while I've been going to that, I haven't been going to any other gaming evenings because 
the the ones by me were on a Wednesday, and Wednesdays is now the evening where we have our nephews around. So I can't really. Yeah. Yeah. Although I have been trying to convince my nephew to play a few things. Yeah. I can't remember if I said last last episode I got into playing Museum Rush, the game that I bought at UKG. Um, I know you told me. I can't remember whether you told me on the podcast. Or yeah, but he enjoyed that, so that was good. Um, but at my pandemic legacy evenings, we've also, I've also taken some games, and one of the other guys has taken some games. So we've we've usually played something else as well as. Mm-hmm. Either something just to get us warmed up or if we've done one game and there's not enough time for a second run through of the month or whatever, we'll play something shorter. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, I took a game that we were given a review copy of mm-hmm. from the guys at Hercules Game Studios when we saw them at UKGE. And I've also done a video review of this game as well. And that was Roll Quest. So if you're interested to see what my Pandemic Legacy gaming group looks like, Watch that video because yeah. you can see you can see them on there. Um, that was good fun. It's um, I'll go into a bit more depth in the in the video, but basically you are having like role play battles against the other people mm. around the table. And even though none of us were big role players, well, I'm not a role player at all. Yeah. Is, and one of the guys was like, "No, I don't do it. I've, I've got no interest in role playing." Mm. Whereas we've always been like, "Oh, well, we'd like to do it if we found the right yeah. environment." He was dead set against it, but even he got into this. Yeah. So for a sort of light intro roleplay introduction thing, mm-hmm. it's pretty good. Super. I enjoyed it a lot. Currently on Kickstarter now, if you want to back it for a few more days. So, And then a couple of days ago, um, Chris brought along Flamme Rouge to mm-hmm. our um, evening and we played that. Which, um, I mean, does that just mean red flame in French? I, don't know. I know rouge is red. I, yeah. I, mean, I would imagine flame is flame, but I don't know. Well, it's probably not. Yeah. It's probably something. It's probably a false friend. So it's probably not what it looks like when translated over into English. Yeah. Let's just uh, pause a moment while we have a look on Google Translate. So Google says it's a uh, cycling term meaning red flag. Yep. Which is shown to riders indicating that the finish line is coming up in one kilometre. Ah, so that'll be the bit where they all start powering. Yeah. And trying to overtake and jostle each other. Shows how much I don't know about cycling. I didn't know that. But yeah, that was nice. The the main problem with that, though, was there's these little mini figures of the um, cyclists. So there's, there's a bike, and it's sort of like the cyclist is put on, but they all break really easy, so the cyclists just come off them. Mm-hmm. So he's and and his copy he got as well. The cardboard insert inside was all bashed up and messed yeah. up. So yeah, he had a bit of a yeah yeah. But yeah, you get a nice course which is made of lots of different um, pieces, and there's like a few different um, ways you can arrange them. I think people even on BGG have like created new courses that you can create. So. Yeah, cool. And yeah, you just uh, have a series of cards that you go through in your deck. And uh, you have to decide whether you want to burst out in front of the pack to mm. get a nice lead. But then when you're in front, you get fatigue cards which go into your deck. Mm. And they only let you move forward a couple of spaces as opposed to the normal cards you'll have which let you move forward three, four, five, six spaces. Yeah. So the further out in front you are, the more fatigue you get, which means everyone can catch you up. Mm. But, you know, it's a, tactically it's a very, very fun game. I enjoyed that. Cool. 
That's about it, though, up until today, where we've both played a couple of games. Yep. So I finally managed to get Awesome to the table yep. a year and a month after I bought it. Uh, it was what I expected. You put a nice grid of um, tracks on the table. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got a little mining cart, and you wander around digging for ore, mm-hmm. playing action cards on other players to sabotage them or make yeah. make your own move better and... Uh, Trading in your ore for money. Yep. What did you think? Um, I liked it. Cool. There's a bit of the contracty, exchangey stuff of things like Spice Road and yeah, uh, the other one, Eastern Wonders. That one. Yep. And also a little bit of dexterity, although we didn't really yeah have we didn't really enforce the dexterity. No, because it was our first time hard. playing, so. But yeah, if, if if when you're putting ore in or taking ore out of your cart, if it drops on the on the game in the game area, it just stays where it is, and someone else can come along and pick it up. Yeah. And you can shunt people out of the way when you move. Yeah, which makes them drop stuff. Yeah. Unless they've got the lovely little doggy in their cart. Oh, I think you still drop stuff if you get shunted, but you can't get um, yoinked. Oh, uh, okay. People so, can't steal ore from you. Yeah. Because your little guard dog is preventing them. Uh-huh. But it's good the way that works. It's difficult to explain. He just like sort of hangs over the edge of the cart. Yeah. But it looks like he's sort of like riding along with it. Yeah. It's very cute. Yeah. And we had a game of corks, which is something I talked about on this show a few months ago. Uh-huh. You've never played before. No. We only played it with four people. Um, I'm sure you can imagine how frantic it would be if you had like 12 people around the table playing Yeah. It. Okay, that's what we've been up to since the last episode. Not a lot, mm-hmm. but no. yeah. Okay, so that's what we've been doing since last month. Let's say it's not a lot. But we now move over to Kickstarter Corner. And I've got a few other things to talk about today rather than just the usual what we backed and what we like, what we want to keep mm-hmm. an eye on. So let's talk about a couple of Kickstarter controversies or controversies if you're that way inclined. The first one is... Um, I think a game that Pete mentioned on this show the last time he was on, the uh, Villages by Sinister yep. Fish, they've had a big hoo-ha about the coins that they're including in their game. Right. They basically did a design of all the coins. Loads of people complained about it. So they changed the design to please all these people. And then a lot of other people then started complaining, why we changed the coins? They're as fine as they are. So eventually they held a vote to get everyone to decide what coins they wanted. Because people were going, yeah, I backed because of these coins. If you change the coins, I'm going to ask for a refund. It's like, it's just some coins in the game. You know, there's plenty of... Are they they like metal coins or cardboard punch-out coins? I think they're cardboard punch-out coins. I think you can pay extra to get metal ones, but... Who cares? Exactly. I mean, there's plenty of games that I don't necessarily agree with the aesthetic choices made, but that doesn't make me enjoy the game any less. Yeah. I mean, right. I, know, I know I say I back a lot of games because I like the art, but, yeah. you know. What what was so bad about the first coins? There was, well, it was to do with the way the, the numbers were on them, and there was different colours, and then some of them had circles around the outside of them. So there was sort of like, you'd have two the same size and the same colour, like a one and a five, and the five would have a circle around it. And then you'd have a ten and a fifteen, or ten and a twenty of the next size, that would be the same colour and then the 20 would have the circle around here so people were like there's no logic to behind which ones have got circles and which ones haven't and stuff like that and some of them were filled and some of them were 
Just go if you go to the Kickstarter page and look at the last few updates, you'll see that. So then, what? So then, why did everybody hate? Why did all the other people hate the new coins? Because they were saying that they liked the original coins and they backed based on that. And really, they've been changed, really, apparently so. Really, would you really back a game just because it had some fun coins? Okay. Well, we won't, we'll hope, probably have someone in this room a bit later who backed it, so we'll see what he says about it. So the second Kickstarter controversy is that around the game Overturn Rising Sands, uh, which has been cancelled uh, for an interesting series of events. The fact that Originally, a lot of people were saying, you know, is this game real? Because everything that they had on the page was all renders. There was no actual physical mm. copy of it. And then people were saying, okay, where's the rule book? Where's the rule book? Stuff like that. They eventually posted one. And not long after they posted it, someone realised it was essentially a copy of the rule book from Massive Darkness. Obviously, they changed a lot of the, some of the text and all the Im- images to be their own. Yeah. But the layout, if you put like the two side by side, they were identical. Yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, we just used a, a template to do it. It's like, no, obviously not. You just got the PDF file from Massive Darkness and just replaced all of the stuff in there. Mm. And so Kickstarter cancelled it and said, no, this is a massive copyright infringement. We're not going to let you do it. Yeah. And that, I mean, before Kickstarter cancelled it, if you look at the graph of backers, it was obviously very well funded to begin with. But then once all this started kicking off, the graph just took a nosedive. Mm. But there was obviously a lot of people who had still backed it because I, I guess there was going to be some people who backed it and then never paid any attention to what was going on. Yeah. Because obviously the creators on the Kickstarter page are never going to post something to say, oh, yeah, our game was copied. You mm. know? So if, that, if all they did was look at the updates from them, they'd never have known there was anything, anything wrong. wrong. Yeah. But if you look at the comments page, there's a lot of toing and froing from them and the creators and things like that. So. Yeah. I think um, I remember Gareth saying that they tried to say something like, oh, um, this is just out. This isn't the. At one point, they turned around and said, oh, it's not our final rule book, it's a draft. Yeah. But then the community uh, translators said, well, if it's not your final rule book, why have you, sp- why have you sent it out to all the translating yeah. people to translate it into other languages as the final rule book and then they're like um, ah, I haven't got a good answer for that one yeah so whoops yeah that seems a bit lazy because it, it seemed like people liked the game and then to cock it up by nicking someone else's rule book seems a little bit but then if they nick the rule book how much other stuff do you reckon they might have nicked or Adapted. So this this last one is something that I just wanted to talk about because this this bugs you know this bugs me. Mm. This is Thunderstone Quest Back to the Dungeon. It's an expansion to Thunderstone Quest. So this is a project that's been launched by AEG, right? A not insignificant games publishing company. I was going to say I assume you don't mean the uh, electronics company that make fridges and no. stuff. No. Okay. So this. Uh, is already over a thousand percent funded. They right. wanted fifty thousand dollars. They've currently got five hundred and seventeen thousand dollars. And it's just one of, another one of those examples of where you've got a games company that they could produce this game 
anyway. They would have no issues funding it mm. and selling all of the copies because they know how many people own copies of Thunderstone Quest. Yeah. So why do they put it on Kickstarter? Uh, presumably because they want to take advantage of like the fever pitch of getting an exclusive. Maybe. Getting it before it hits the shelves, in theory. Yeah. As there's plenty of Kickstarters that have gone the other way around. <clears throat> yeah, it just, uh, I don't know, something about it just rubs me up the wrong way. Kickstarter's supposed to be for small independent people to realise their dreams. Yeah, as opposed, I, oh, well, I guess maybe it depends how AEG has set themselves up and whether it's like a tiny, tiny team who are doing it, but AEG forced them to use their name or yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, some, some of them where it's like, well, you're, you're a fully fledged company now. You know, sort it out. You can you can make this and sell it because you've made profit on previous games. I'm sure you can. Uh, I don't know. Fund it yourself. Yeah. Not have any problems with it. Yeah, I suppose it depends if, like, the first in a series of games was done by an independent company, which were then bought out by a bigger company, and then the smaller com- the smaller original sort of IP owners were like, well, we want to go back to Kickstarter because that's where our fans are and stuff like that. Um, I suppose there are there are some reasons why it might happen, but yeah, I agree. It's a bit... You don't need to sort of monopolise Kickstarter. No. Well, I mean, that's just our opinion. Other people may differ. Let's talk about what we've backed since the last... Episode, because neither of us have had anything arrive, have we? Oh no, you oh, know I had something arrive. Yes, I had rise rise of tribes arrive, which um, the postman attempted to deliver on my last day before I went. Well, on the day that I was going on holiday, and left an annoying little red slip, so I had to get it a re-delivery booked for like. 10, 11 days later. Oh. Um, you wouldn't have played it anyway, so... No, no. But it would have been... It would have been easier if they just left it in the porch. But they don't always. Um, but yes, Rise of Tribes has arrived. Um, I got it on... It finally came, I think, three days ago after I got back from holiday. Uh, I haven't opened it yet because they were doing a unboxing competition however I still need to check whether the European date is still okay in the future or not um, but yes this is one of one of the larger games that I backed last year mm-hmm. um, and it looks very nice I haven't mm-hmm. taken the cellophane off but I do want to sit and play with it okay just make sure you do the unboxing video then <sighs> Such a taskmaster. Our YouTube channel's not going to fill itself. Mind you, I've still got a few that we've already done that I need to edit and upload, so... Yeah, we've got loads of content. Yeah. Okay, but you haven't backed anything? Uh, No, the only thing um, 
well, technically I backed it about 20 minutes before we started recording the last episode, was oh, right, okay. Binding Rise of Four Souls, which oh, has, yeah, yeah. has now successfully funded, super successfully funded. Um, and I was tempted to go up in the tiers to uh, get the T-shirt, but to get the T-shirt I had to go up to like an extra 40 quid or something, and I was like, nah, can't afford that. Can't just can't justify forty quid just to get the t shirt. Yeah. I mean, you get other stuff like you get the expansion and some other bits and pieces, but I didn't want those bits. I just wanted the t shirt. Um, <laughs> but I'm getting just the base game because I think uh, just the base game will be enough. Yeah, because uh, Edmund McMillan is sort of an acquired taste. He is. He is. Um, so I'm hoping Chris will be interested in playing. It because he is a big fan of Binding of Isaac PC games. Okay, cool. But I haven't backed anything else. Okay. Well, I've only backed one game, but I've also backed something that's semi-related mm-hmm. to the podcast as well. So the first thing is the game I did back Immortality yep. from Nikki. We interviewed at the, at the Bash last month. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know more about that, listen to that. But uh, yeah, uh, that's successfully funded. Didn't hit uh, the stretch goal that I recommended. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you hit one of them. So everyone's getting extra heroes, I think. And I, I you know, I sent congratulations to him on Facebook yesterday. And he was like, oh, we might put the uh, some of the other stretch goals on at my website for pre-order or something. There's yeah. like little add-ons. So we'll see. But either way, I'm pleased that uh, that, that got funded for him. Cool. And the semi-related thing was actually a bit of tech um, called Mui, which... Now, is it Mui or is it Movie, but some German people made it? I don't know. I don't think they're German. I don't but know. it's spelled M-U-W-I, anyway. And it's like a little... Um, I don't know best to explain it. It's like tracks for, for cameras and stuff. So... Mm-hmm. There's a little, um, like, four-wheeled thing that you can put your camera on and then have, like, smooth motion on the camera. Yeah. But then there's also a remote control for it you can get, which I've got, which I've backed at that level. So I can put my phone or my camera on there, set the wheels up so it goes in an arc or in a straight line, and then just mm. use the remote control to move it left and right, and it will, you know, spin around or it will just go in a straight line or whatever. Um, but also you can get like a track that you put on top of a tripod mm. and so it just goes at one end of the track and moves its way across. Yeah. And I thought, wouldn't that be good for uh, some of our YouTube videos that we do? We have nice, fancy, arty shots of all the games we're talking about and things mm. like that. And I'll probably use it for other stuff as well. I've not bought it just for the podcast, but I think it is something that will probably get used quite a lot for yeah. some of our videos. Um Especially now, I mean, if you watch the video I did of RollQuest where it's just me talking to the camera, mm. um, as well as doing the normal sort of stuff we do for our unboxing video. So if I can have like, nice fancy shots of the game to go over uh, our voices, so basically you don't have to look at my face as much, <laughs> then that's fine. So uh, yeah, that's, that's what I backed. Super. So we've got a few ones to watch. So what's your first one? Uh, my first one is Trogdor, or if you watch the video, it's mispronounced Tragar, <laughs> repeatedly and then corrected to Trogdor several times. 
which is a little game where I say it's little is it, the minimum uh, backing level did surprise me um, where you are peasants in Peasantville or something like that and Trogdor is depicted as a, a dragon with a giant muscly human man arm coming out of his back oh. doing a flex Lovely. flexing some biceps and the idea is you have to move Trogdor around Peasantville, burn everything. Sorry, burninate everything. Oh, burninate. Yes, you need to burninate everything. Okay. Um, and burninate all the peasants, all the countryside, and all the cottages with thatched roofs. Right. So you just destroy everything. Um, what I found particularly cute is the. For the wooden set, so you, there's two different sets you can have. You can have a set with just the wooden meeples and wooden trogdor, or you can have one with like uh, like plastic cast miniatures. Yeah. On the wooden ones, you put little um, wooden flame helmets on top of the meeples to indicate that they are on fire. Oh, okay. And you can flip over the roofs of the um, cottages. So one side is normal and the other side is on fire. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was quite fun. Yeah. Um, I personally prefer the look of the wooden meeples to the plastic miniatures, um, which is thankfully the lower tier. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still $40 to get just that. I believe they've either hit it or they're near hitting it. Um, a stretch goal which will involve a variety of other... Trogdor minis that look different, so mm-hmm. different looking dragons, basically. Um, so that is one of my ones to watch. Okay. My first one is a game called Sabotage. Now, I've just put the video on the screen. Without knowing what games company this is by Ray, what company would you say that's from? Um, that chap who did those two games we talked about yep. recently, uh, Tim Fowers. That's him. Yeah. So this is a game called Sabotage from Fowers Games. And, you know, I like a lot of the stuff that they're doing, so it's no surprise that this is one of my yeah. ones to watch. But this is a lot more... It's a lot grander in scale than a lot of the games they've been doing. Yeah. Um, so this is basically an asymmetrical game where you've got a team of spies and a team of villains... Mm. and uh, it's supposed to be four-player games, so two players on each team. And there's a, you put a big like, partition in the middle of the table. Mm-hmm. So what I like about that is the game box actually opens up and becomes that partition. Yeah. And imagine like battleships where each side has got a copy of the map mm-hmm. and all their minis, and they're working out their movements, and then every, the movements are being revealed. And basically the... the spies have to stop the villains from doing whatever bad thing it is that the yeah. villains are going to do. And so when I saw this, I thought, do you know what? That Again, I mean, it's got the standard Ferris Games art style, which is one thing that attracted me to it. But when I looked into the campaign a bit further, the way the game works and the mechanics mm-hmm. of it and that whole thing about it being asymmetrical and, you know, you have two teammates on one side of the box, if you like, yeah. and two on the other... I just thought that was that was really cool, and the teams 
teammates obviously got to work together, but without giving away anything to the other, mm. the other teams. So, yeah, it's um, you know it's got lots of reviews on and quotes from reviewers on the page, basically saying you know it's really good fun. Uh, this is a good one. I don't know how Tim Ferriss made a postmodern co-op stealth RPG from the bones of Battleship, but somehow he did. Yeah. So that's from Penny Arcade. So you know, lots of very well-respected reviewers have put quotes on this to say it's a good game. So yeah. And the other thing they're doing is they're not doing stretch goals as well. Mm-hmm. They've just announced the game, but what they're doing is over the course of the campaign, they're gradually revealing things. Mm. So every, you've you've got everything, but at the moment we don't know what they are. They're just gradually like it's just like building a bit of suspense, yeah. I guess. Okay. But uh, yeah, that's um, that's sabotage from Ferris Games, and it's fifty nine dollars, I think. Uh, I don't know what the shipping is. Let's have a look. Seven dollars shipping, so that's pretty good. That's sixty six dollars. So mm-hmm. that's about fifty quid. Yeah, and it looks like quite a big box with lots of components in. There's obviously got to be two sets of all the minis as well. Yeah, because each team needs one. So, so yeah, it uh, looks good fun. So that's my first one to watch. So my next one to watch is called Pumpkin Patch Bad Seeds, which is already fully funded, and it's only nine dollars. Bargain. Yeah, so it's like a mini card game. Well, it is a card game. It's quite small. You are planting pumpkins mm-hmm. and collecting I believe you collect seeds as points um, and it's a two to three pe- people two to three person game two to three player game yeah um, and yeah you are planting pumpkins in a pumpkin patch that's, pre- that's pretty much the, the whole thing it's a spooky pumpkin patch okay so a good game to bring out at Halloween then yes um, so you start off and you have some seedlings and some baby boos, which uh, look like little ghosts. Oh, not baby boos. Not no alcohol for babies. No baby ghosts. Right. Yeah, boo like boo. Yeah, and scary mul- ghosts. And multiple of those. Yes, boos. Um, some seedlings, and you get like a little compost pile, um, so you can either play from your hand or from the compost pile to start with. Right. It looks really simple. Um, there's If it's a two-player game, there's also uh, pesky crows. Uh, and you can control the crows if you are in a two-player game. If it's a three-player game, I think the crows have their own movement sort of thing. Yeah. It says it's for two to three players. Can you combine multiple copies of the game to have more players? I don't know. You might be able to. I didn't, I didn't spot it in the... Uh, than the thing you can buy two copies but why would you it says group buy maybe it's just so two people can have the game yeah I guess it's kind of if you want to buy two copies at nine dollars each yeah because there's you've got there's two of you as opposed to having to buy like big groups yeah do big groups same on shipping yeah um it's fairly short it says it plays in about 20 minutes um the game ends when somebody plays the Cinderella pumpkin, which is the biggest pumpkin. Ah. And they've got a lot of um, little run-throughs and review videos from lots of people already. Yeah. Um, the one thing that did confuse me slightly um, is that 
at the bottom it says all physical rewards will be shipped out in October 2019. Um, however, on the Kickstarter page itself, it says we expect this will be ready to ship by August 2018. So I think they made a boo-boo when they were setting up the page. Yeah. Because it says, as a big big note with stars and bold... Um, the single and double game pledges currently have the wrong date posted on the pledge levels. Yeah, but 2019 for a card, uh, over a year for a card game, that seems a lot. Yeah, that see, that that's now double confusing me, because I thought, yeah, August is a bit much, but this seems nice and Halloween-y, so maybe it'll be coming out for October, but then it's not coming out till October next year, and for $9... Yeah. You, you will have forgotten you backed it by then. Yeah, probably. It'd be a nice surprise. But at the same time, it's nine dollars, and it looks kind of it looks kind of fun and spooky. My next one is an RPG, which is unusual for me. Yes, not not not, not being a big RPG person, and there's only one reason I've put this down. So this is the role playing game for the Expanse. Is this based off of the TV show and presumably the books, mm-hmm. which my dad is currently obsessed with. The books and the TV or both? Both. Okay. He actually, before he started watching, the, he watched season one of the TV show, mm-hmm. stopped and then said, I'm going to get the books before I watch anymore. Okay. Read the first two books, then went back and watched season one of the TV show. And this morning, the next four books all arrived at his house <laughs> on Amazon. So Fair enough. As we speak, he's probably sitting in the conservatory at home reading book three. So that's the only reason I put that in here. Are they big books? Um, They're regular sized paperback novels. Oh, okay. Maybe a bit thicker than than some. Not sort of. Not Game of Thrones ish. Not not like Game of Thrones, The Deathly Hallows kind of. They're they're more sort of. um, I'd say they're probably about half the size or just over half Game of Thrones. Just a regular Mm. paperback book. He was moaning to me last night about the fact that the newest book. He can buy it from Amazon, but he doesn't want to because it's it's the hardback version, and the others he's got are all paperbacks. Yeah, you got to wait. Keep, you got to keep them. You say. Yeah, you got to wait. See, I've I've had that before, and I've ended up with um, one. I think I've ended up with one uh, series of books where I was too keen, so I've got like paperback, paperback, hardback. Yeah. For the third book, um, because I was too keen and I wanted to know how it ended. Yeah, it's great to be like a fan, but at the same time, hardback books are so much more difficult to transport, yeah. to read, because you've actually got to sit there with both hands holding it open. But yeah, I I, I understand his pain. Okay. Mate, he's not a big book reader, though. I, I, mean, I was amazed when he started reading them. You know, yeah. Normally he'll just sit down and watch TV and movies, but he's really got into these. Yeah. I think uh, how, so how, I to... how old are they? Um, the, the book series. Well, the, the new one's just coming out, so I'd say, and I don't know how often you, I don't know how many releases a year, but you know, within the last four or five years, yeah, or something. Enough. So they're not that old. So um, that was a fairly quick turnaround to get it into a TV show, then yeah. I suppose. I mean, I might be talking nonsense. I don't really, really know. But anyway, that's why I chose the Expanse for our playing game because it's, okay. it's it's featured quite heavily in my life At recently. The moment, yeah. Does it does it have a character that looks like Thomas Jane? No idea. Okay, fair enough. 
So my next one to watch is more because I think lots of people will like it. Um, it's a bit above my budget, to be honest, um, but it does also look quite good. So the art oh, looks quite nice. The, the idea of it looks quite nice. Um, and it is Call to Adventure, which also is simultaneously bringing out its first expansion, which is called The Name of the Wind. Um, and The Name of the Wind is going to be set in the world of the King Killer Chronicles. I believe The Name of the Wind is one of the books, which is by Patrick Rothfuss, which is quite a popular fantasy series. Okay. I haven't read it, but I know Gareth, our friend, has read it and enjoys it quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so Call to Adventure, the base idea of it is that you are crafting a hero. Um, and you craft your hero with character cards, story cards. So you have a, an origin card, a motivation card, and a destiny right, card. Okay. Um, and there's quite a lot of, you know, there's 30 character cards, and you only need three to create your character. Mm -hmm. So if there's... If there's that many, if there's ten, 10 origins, 10 motivations and 10 destinies, you can sort of see already that the amount of mix and matching yeah. you can do to make someone different every single time will be quite a lot. Um, you customise your hero with runes. Um, you can take hero or anti-hero cards. So you can be of the light or of the darkness. Yeah. Um, it's very much like the, it is the, the hero crafting sort of thing. So it reminds me a little bit of uh, Fable, because obviously you craft your hero in that and you, yeah. you make your decisions at the beginning and that affects how things happen at the end. Um, you win with, I think it's experience, points, something, and a couple of other bits that you sort of compound together and they make your victory points mm -hmm. um and yeah then the first expansion which you can order at the same time is the name of the wind which i believe is um it will add extra challenges extra destinies new mechanics um which are unique to rothfuss's fantasy world so the base game is you building the hero and are the expansions like adventures that your hero actually goes on I'm not entirely sure see when I when I looked through it it was sort of you pick you build the story oh, no, yeah, of sorry, your hero yeah, yeah. your hero is undergoing challenges as you build them and the challenges yeah. are what makes them who they are yeah, yeah. so you end up with I think the challenge is, is how you also get runes and that changes how you are as a person or what mm -hmm. your hero is. And you gain abilities, you gain triumph and tragedy points as your legend grows. Oh. Um, they will equal your final destiny score um, and you have des destiny score and the experience score as well at the end. So you go through, you, you've, you've 
it's basically like going on uh, a journey with a character and building like seeing how your character evolves yeah it's kind of like watching a really character driven tv show and every episode something happens that either makes them react this way or that way so what will happen further down the line is completely different um and yeah as i say the name of the wind will add extra bits and pieces extra character themes and so on which are based on those books the king killer chronicles that looks fun then yeah i can see why gareth would like that yeah i think there's no minis in it though I know, which is a surprise. <laughs> um, you never know, there might be a stretch goal somewhere. Yeah. Uh, it's got quite a lot of nice, friendly reviews. Let's have a look. European shipping. There anywhere are from, tiers, anywhere yeah. from $5 to $16. That's not a lot. No. I imagine that will depend on how many um, boxes you order. Yeah. So $55 gets you the base game and the expansion, The Name of the Wind. Whereas just for the base game, it is $40. But then there's a lot more with player mats and all sorts of things. Yeah. So you can get the special player mats. You can get player mats and card, card sleeves and custom printing and this and that and so on Um, and then obviously once you have picked your pledge you will then have your varying shipping yeah Um, yeah but for fairly big game it reckons estimated delivery November this year it's probably fairly long fairly far Far along and I suppose most of it is just cards yeah so it's not like they have to build any minis and get them done. Hmm. I'm tempted by that then, at the back, yeah. just at the base level. Yeah. I think it would be good if you were... I suppose it makes sense to, to not sell the expansion on its own at this stage. Because obviously you haven't even released yeah. the, the core game. It would be nice to be able to do just the name of the wind so for example if you know your friend is buying the core game you can get them a gift of the other one uh, the expansion uh, my next one is um, I seem to be this seems to be right, starting to rival food for me yes I did, an, see, I did see this and think oh I wonder if Matt will look at that yeah so this is the Grand Museum of Art which if I do back it will be my third art museum type game because mm. I've got Museum Rush and I've got Museum on the way. Yeah. And this is thematically, I guess, quite similar to Museum. But as with that one, you're, you're each trying to build up your own museum. In this one, you're all curators of the same museum um, that's lost all of its artwork or whatever. Yeah. And you all have to try and build the best exhibit. So you're all buying a different or trying to get different pieces of art. Mm-hmm. But you've all got like, um, there's like objective cards with different exhibits on which have got different works of art in. Yeah. And some of them have got the same works of art. So if you've got a couple, you need to decide which one's going to be the better mm. exhibit to create. But you can also like trade with the other players to try and get, get the art that you want. Yeah. So there's a bit of, you know, player interaction involved. And uh, yeah, I, I actually quite like the look of this. 
It's Canadian dollars as well, which is good because I think that's got a better exchange rate than American. Yeah, for us. For yeah. us so, um, I didn't get in on the super early bird. I could have saved ten dollars, but um, thirty-five pound, sixty Canadian dollars for a copy of the game, and eighteen Canadian dollars shipping. So that would be about nine pounds. So about forty, forty-five pound altogether. Yeah. So, which is not too bad. And um, yeah, I I just. Like the look of it, and all the cards are obviously real pieces of art. Mm. Um, I, I know there's the Mona Lisa and things like that in the game, so yeah. Oh, there's also a trivia thing as well where you can um, try and answer art questions about art. Mm-hmm. But there's two types: there's serious ones and silly mm. ones for people who don't know a lot about art. Yeah. So that was quite good. And there's uh, yeah, ex- trading of players, auctioning off. Uh, pieces of art trying to steal them from other players mm. so yeah I, I think that looks quite quite good fun so that's the Grand Museum of Art so my last one to watch is Atlantis Island of Gods which is being brought to us by Red Imp um, who are the people who also did Martians A Story of Civilization, which was one of those many Mars games that all came out at a very similar time um, so Atlantis, which has a solo variant included, oh, good. which is always good, um, you play a high priest to one of the ancient, well, old gods, not old gods in the Cthulhu sense of the word, but just gods from a long time ago. Um, and you have to build temples, celebrate your deity and try and save your people before Atlantis disappears um, so the artwork looks rather nice Yeah, and I am a bit of a sucker for things that deal, that look at like classical gods and stuff I don't know why I used to, I used to love reading books about old Egyptian stuff when I was a kid so you are, as I say, you're a high priest. You're trying to build up your temples and so on for your god uh, so that they will help you survive the uh, submerging and destruction of Atlantis. So you have to figure out how to, well, you have to pray, praise your deities sufficiently to... Uh, escape getting sunk with the rest of the city. Excellent. Each player gets uh, some temple tiles um, and you can stack them on top of each other to make higher and higher temples. Mm-hmm. And each each temple is different per colour. Yes, they are called modular miniatures. That's, that's... Oh, that's really cool. So you can like use three or four of them in different combinations to create yeah. different buildings. Oh, wow. So you can buy lots of different... Well, not buy. You can build lots of different shaped temples, different heights, using different bits of the buildings uh, in your colour. And, yeah, it's also, as I say, it has a single-player variant, which obviously means it's way more cool in my books. Yep. Um, It is a one-to-four person. And if you want to get it, it is only twenty nine dollars, um, which will come with unlocked things. 
Or you can buy six copies for $162. Because obviously. Well, well I mean, I guess that's for retailers. And, yeah. Um, it's estimated for April 2019. And it's coming from the E. Well, the company is in the EU, so it is free to ship to well, the UK. Well, it says that. Is there anything that. on the campaign that says uh, shipping will be charged true. after? There may be. Yeah, here you go. $12 shipping to the EU. Or you can pick it up at Essen for no extra charge. Oh, there you go. Apart from the charge of shipping it home from Essen. Yeah. Because you're probably not going to have space to put it on the plane with you. Well, that's true. Never mind. I've seen the Dice Tower convention Box. boxes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there you go. So my next one to watch is a game called Incoming Transmission. Now, this is from Magic Meeple Games, the people who made... Fire of Eidolon, which coincidentally we've just seen being played uh, here at uh, The Great Indoors. And um, it's the next game in their Super Nano Enhanced series. So those 16-bit era games. So as I say, Fire of Eidolon, Overworld, which is one that uh, I backed a few months ago that uh, is not long away from being shipped. And uh, yeah, this one, Incoming Transmission, which is $24 plus shipping. So there's a slight bit of asymmetry to it because... Um, although you were playing together to win the game, each side of players has slightly different rules that they play with. Mm. So one player is Mission Control, who goes through, as you say, here mission cards, which they're the only ones who can see. And the other players all play the cadet, who is the sole survivor on a space station. Yeah. And so... I quite like this line that they put on the campaign. The cadet side, if more than one person, may speak freely among themselves. These are the multiple voices arguing in the head of the space-mad cadet. Hmm. Mission control may not speak and should remain completely poker-faced to the best of their ability to play in the spirit of the game. So you've basically got one person sitting there who can't say anything and everyone else can, can cooperate. The objective of the game is basically to complete the objectives on the mission cards... Um, before the stack runs out and that's basically it yep. I've not done a very good job of explaining this at all have I uh, it's quite a long explanation <laughs> on the um, on the on, on the Kickstarter page yeah read the Kickstarter page all I can say is all the stuff I've seen from this company so far has been really good so yeah. um, I think it's definitely worth checking out and last of all it wouldn't be an episode of The Offline Gamer without me talking about a food game, would it? No. So we have here Burger Battle. Build burgers and destroy your friends. Of course. Yeah. Burger bombs, burger force fields, and burger apocalypse. Build your burger to completion and sabotage friends in this two to six player card game. That's what it says. I mean, I would love to be involved in a burger apocalypse. But my idea of a burger apocalypse is probably not the same as this game's idea of a big apocalypse. Possibly not. Uh, the designer of this game is Andrew Heath, who is a designer and illustrator who designed, who has done art for a number of Looney Labs games, uh, Chemistry Flux, Anatomy Flux, Retro Lunacy, and Just Desserts. I've got three of those four games. Yeah. So um, it, it has got sort of a retro, I'd say maybe 80s look to it. Yeah. Possibly. Um, like the sort of thing you'd see in an American diner in that yeah. sort of time period. And uh, lots of lovely ingredients that you can put on your burger. Uh, mushrooms, 
pickles, onions, pineapple, egg, onion rings, everything that you'd want to make a nice burger. And basically you get a burger, uh, you're given a burger with different ingredients on and you've got to build that burger and stop other players from creating their burgers. So yeah, I mean, they came about burgers. What could be better? I don't know. Having a burger while playing a game about burgers? Yeah. Yeah. Free burgers. So that is $20 for a copy of the game. Let's have a look at the shipping. $18. That's, oh, that's one of those games where yeah. the cost of shipping is neither the cost of the game itself. I wonder, though, if this will get distribution. I wonder if Looney Labs would distribute it if it did mm. well enough. Because, I mean, if the designer's already got a um, relationship with them. Yeah. Maybe it would go. Maybe. So we'll see. Oh, seeing that shipping cost has annoyed me. Mm. So that's it for Kickstarter Corner. So now we've got all of our usual stuff out of the way. I'm now going to venture out of this room next door and see who I can grab to come and have a chat with us. So I'll be back in a moment. Okay, so the first person we've managed to grab is the man himself behind this event. It's Peter Hazelwood. Hello, hello folks. How are you doing? All right. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. Good. It's a nice little room you've got us. It's cosy, isn't it? Uh, we'll have to take a photo and put it up on the uh, yeah. on the site because you know this is beautiful compared to the noise from uh, the main room. Yeah, <laughs> especially with my daughter running around flipping pitch car cart. And a lot better than the room we had on campus that one time. Oh, the, that was uh, awful. The Asian music night. Oh yeah. yeah. Memorable, but yes. Yeah. So is it going then? It seems pretty packed in there. Yeah. No, it's. I'm pretty happy with. You know, the, the advanced ticket sales weren't great, mm. um, but the number of walk-ins has been very pleasing. You know, it, we, we felt that there would be a large number of people paying on the door. Um, but, you know, bigger venue, bigger costs. We're still yeah. trying to break even here. So it, every person coming through the door helps us out, but it's just brilliant to see a, a room full of people having fun. And that's, that's what we've got. Yeah, yeah. So can you all come back here next year? Um, I think... Almost certainly. Uh, 99%. I'm very happy with them as a venue. For the first time, they've been really easy to deal with. Professional, you know, uh, they've given us what we needed, what we wanted. So, yeah, no, full marks full marks to the venue, yeah. Cool. Uh, I've seen a, f- a few familiar faces outside, then people I know from Wolverhampton. But, uh, yes. Uh, you presumably never met them. I haven't, no. Um, I've just been one of the questions for people on the door when they come in and they see the people on the front desk and we say, well, how did you hear about this? Yeah. And actually, it's very gratifying. There's been a number of people saying, well, uh, friends with Matt and we listen to the podcast. Oh, Fantastic. Really? Yeah, okay, yeah. I've had good. at least two or three of those. Oh, good. And then other people saying, oh, we know Vince or we know, you know, yeah. we go to his shop. And that's brilliant. Yeah, word of mouth, I think, is really important. I mean, we we get a fair number of people coming in and they've said they've heard on the, the board game trading and chat yeah. Facebook group a lot of people word of mouth you know, a lot of people are local gamers or they've been before but uh, now it's great to see uh, people coming in from a wide variety of areas and yeah. people obviously being kind about the event because uh, you know we've had we've got people uh, in the hall now who've been for uh, every single year which yeah. is lovely this so, is this is the third year yeah. yeah so yeah all, all being well possibly not going to be sticking with the same date because there are a number of people you know it's, it's the start of school holidays yeah. so we're potentially losing out on a number of people so the date could well change which it's a bit of a shame because i like being able to say well it's always the last weekend of july yeah. but if there's a date that works better for us then we'll move it but in terms of venue i really hope we'll be here because uh no, it's perfect yeah i think it's great 
And I saw your little signs that you put up uh, <laughs> at the front. You're the only one. Oh, okay. Basically made no effort with signage the first two years. It's effort, but it's also cost. And and being t- roundly told off because people couldn't find it. So I've made an effort this year. We've paid for some signs and we've put up some other signs. And people still have been wandering in going, couldn't find it. No signs. <laughs> well, we fed. Because we parked in the car park. We saw the, well, I mean, we followed the disabled entry in because yeah. we were parked around the back. But... I knew there was going to be confusion about that. Yeah. I had a contact from a lady who was disabled coming in in a powered wheelchair saying, uh, is it easy to get in? And I said, yes, as long as you go round the back. And I said, that's where the signage is pointing, but I'll put a disabled sign on it. So I did that. And then I thought, I wonder if people are going to think that's only for the disabled access. <laughs> no, no, we went to... Because we were... I said the car park's right there anyway, so... Yes, yeah. yeah. So, you know, most people have wandered in, some less than complimentary about the signage, but they found it, so... Yeah, <laughs> well, we actually, when we came up, I took the wrong turning and went up the, up the street, because okay. that's where yeah. the sat-nav told me to go. Oh, well, we then listen nice to sat-nav, little, listen to me. Yeah, we had a nice little trip onto the Asda car park. <laughs> yeah. It's just the only Asda car park I've ever been on. Like, you have to get a ticket to get on and off. What's that all about? Don't ask me, Bromsgrove Council, I dare say, own yeah. the land and who, who knows. But uh, anyway, we love Bromsgrove Council because oh, yes. they, you know, they own they, this venue they own and they're, venue. they're brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, what have you played today then? Have you been able to play much? So far, I have played two games of Thieves by Merlin Games. That's the super abstract one. Yes, um, yes, and it is. It is abstract. Um, it, I don't play many abstract games. This is a two-player-only abstract, which, again, is not ticking boxes in terms of a game I would have in my collection because mm. I don't always play two-player and I don't often want to play abstracts. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of abstract games and two-player abstract games, it's very good. So uh, actually, uh, the people behind Merlin Games, uh, I'd never heard of them, if I'm honest. I didn't see them at the expo, but no. that's hardly surprising because there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um they're only you know down the road in Kinver, so I'm slightly gutted by a couple of local publishers that I wasn't aware of until too late. I mean, it would have been great to have them exhibiting here, yeah. so I will definitely be in touch with them yeah. next year. Uh, another one was uh, the guy in Hale Zoen, who I contacted you about. Oh, Nicky Lloyd. Yes, yeah. yes, and he would have been here, but it's their wedding anniversary this weekend. Oh, right. <laughs> so I only contacted him a couple of weeks ago, saying, you know, oh, you've got a game on Kickstarter and you're local. Can you come and? show off your game and he said I'd love to and I'm at a spa all weekend what a shame <laughs> so you've always been scuppered by weddings it was me last weddings, year weddings yeah events oh, it's just a nightmare so you know maybe if we move the date nobody will be getting married or you know having yeah. anniversaries whatever <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, nice game yeah so I definitely recommend they won the UK Games Expo Abstract Award this oh, year right, okay. so you know it's it's got pedigree it's a really nice game very nicely produced wouldn't necessarily be something I would go for but I played the first game, I lost, uh, and I asked for a rematch. Hence why okay. it took me ages to come and yeah, yeah. be interviewed by you. <laughs> but I, I got the win in the end, so I'm very happy. That's cool. So yes, that's all my playing so far. I'm back on duty in a little bit, but uh, yeah, I'm not really here to play games, but uh, it's just yeah, nice, it's nice to, to see get one in, isn't it? That's it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's move, let's change topic. We were talking earlier about um, some stuff that's kicked off on Kickstarter. You know, you, did you back Villages in the end? Villages, yes. Yeah, yes. so... This whole thing about the coins. Have you been, have you, did you make your opinions known about that? Uh, well, I did, but the the unusual thing for that is that my opinion was I liked the original set yeah, yeah. and I liked the new set. <laughs> so yes, big controversy. They had these very nice 
sets of wooden coins, purposefully minimal to fit in with the art of the game, but also deliberately going in a nice separate box that you could use for other games. So they've got, you know, numbers between 1 and 100 and in three different sets of colours. Not exactly in line with British currency, but but not too far yeah. away. The really low ones are the, the coppery ones, the mid-level ones are the silvery ones, and then you've got a more gold colour. Lovely, yeah. So then people started kicking off that it didn't look... Uh, it wasn't in keeping with the overall design. They didn't like the different colours. They didn't feel like the differentiation was enough or that the design was interesting enough, blah, blah, blah. So, brilliant. So they commissioned a whole new set of artwork. They get, you know, prototype coins and everything. Eventually, they put it to a vote. And, yes, 81% or something in favour of the original coins. Were they? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there were a few people absolutely baffling me by saying... I hate the coins enough that I want my money back. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to back it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's insane. And that's insane. And keep, at least keep the game. If you don't want the coins, of course, that's up to you. But they were nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine getting so exercised about an add-on to a game. And the coins are lovely. They're wood and they've got a nice minimalist design. Just... I thought that was also for the cardboard ones. I didn't realise it was just the wood um, Okay, I think you're right. Um, oh, okay. I, to be honest, I've kind of forgotten about the cardboard co- coins because I've ones. always wanted the wooden coins, which mm-hmm. is unusual for me. I don't always pimp my games my games but uh, these coins were so nice and the fact that they were making it so easy to play you know other games so no more paper money or whatever you've got these lovely thick wooden coins so yeah you know storm in a teacup okay. mm. oh, so you've uh, managed to get your mum to uh, run the kitchen <laughs> as well I was yeah, just talking to her that's it yeah so it's a, it's a family affair this year so I've got Emma doing lots of help front desk kitchen whatever my mum and dad doing little stints in the kitchen uh, it was one of the perks of this venue was we could try and make back you know, some of the money from the increased venue costs by running the kitchen ourselves, which yeah. is great. But it's another uh, area of uh, difficulty and time and organisers and all the rest of it. So, yeah, very nice to have uh, some family on board because not only are they babysitting Florence while I'm here and Emma's here, but they're also running the kitchen. So, fair play. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yes, what have you guys been playing today so far? Um, we played... Um... Awesome, which was that game I bought. And was it Expo. awesome? It was. I don't know if it was awesome, but it was all right. <laughs> um, but you know, I only bought that because the funny name anyway. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we played Corks as well with Simon and his daughter. So. Yeah, how was that? It was only four of us, so it was over quite quickly, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> Better than when we uh, we play tested that on, on Wednesday at the group. So me and Tobias got most of the family games out that Ginger Fox had sent to us yeah. and had a little go at them. And we played that two-player. So I can tell you that four-player oh, would be vastly preferable. Two players, I mean, that lasted, what, all of 20 seconds? <laughs> it was pretty quick. Uh, and to be fair, it's not designed for two. Three, no. three to six. But yeah, yeah, no. I've enjoyed some of the uh, listening, mostly hearing the, uh, the some people playing the family games because they're obviously having a good time. Yeah, some of it might have yeah. leaked into our audio <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sticky Chameleon seems to be very popular. Again, I uh, and that wasn't sent to us, but uh, yeah, Matt Bailey and our gaming group brought that along on Wednesday. And uh, yeah, he's a serious gamer, but it is a fun game. <laughs> My only criticism of that is that um, actually I was finding it hard to uh, understand at a brief glance and match up the icon of the animal on the dice with what I'm meant to be sticking my chameleon tongue to. Right. So, no problem. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all right at dexterity games, uh, but I couldn't actually just recognise the piece I was aiming for. <laughs> anyway, if you've not seen that one, uh, check it out, because it is, it's a fun blend, it's a dexterity game. It's, I've not really played anything like it, but you're flicking okay. your tongue at these pieces 
but it's still fair game. Not your, you know? not your actual tongue, make that clear. Yeah, sorry, your chameleon <laughs> tongue game accessory. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still, as you know, even while it's on your tongue, you then have to take it off your tongue before it's, yeah. uh, it belongs to you. So then, once somebody's even stuck the relevant piece, you're still then trying to stick the piece from their tongue and get it onto your tongue and then wrestle it off. Good laugh. So the games in the library then, are they mostly members of the group? They're mostly still from our group. Um, My collection is sadly lacking in family games. You know, I've only got so much time for gaming and I don't often want to play something really light. Yeah. But yeah, but um, Ginger Fox got in contact with us and sent us over a nice nice bundle of games to to add to the library. So that's really kind. And they put some into the blind auction as well, raising money for Chrysalis Youth Empowerment Network. So... Mm -hmm. Fair play, you know, that's what you want from uh, people supporting an event. Cool. I think that's it then, mate. I think we won't keep you much longer. You've got plenty to get on with out there, haven't you? So. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you guys for coming. And as always, thank you for podcasting about it. Clearly, uh, people hear about the Great Indoors on your podcast, which is yeah, amazing. So, yeah. fantastic as always. I'd like to know if they're people we already know. Listen to the show, whether they're, they're people we don't know. Yeah, that, that would be interesting. Um, yeah, I guess we'll find have... out who they are. <laughs> yeah, go find out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. We'll uh, now wander outside then and see who else we can grab. So, fantastic. Lot, mate. Enjoy. Thank you. Super. Okay, the next person we've managed to drag into this little room that we're in is Vince from Asgore Games. Hello, mate. How you doing? You okay, guys? Yeah. It's yeah. nice to finally get you on the show. Yeah, it has been a while. I've heard my name mentioned a few times when I've been listening to it. So, yeah. Yeah. It is nice to actually be here eventually. Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, you've obviously come here with your, your a few items from your retail establishment. That's true. Yeah, a lot of interest. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. To be fair, there seems to be. Um, it's always it's nice to do an event like this. I really yeah. like events like uh, the Great Indoors because it promotes really what I'm kind of all about, which is about the community and about gaming being a, a social and a family event. And um, yeah, there's been quite a lot of interest on some of the games that are out there, so that's pretty good. Cool. Well, we've got you here then. Let's talk a bit about about you and your background. Because okay. uh, we've you know we've talked about your shop, which is well since we've been doing the podcast has actually moved moved premises. Once, but, <laughs> yeah, a couple of but, times. But um, what um, got you into? Well, at what point did you turn around and think, you know what, I'm going to open a board game shop in Warsaw? Um, well, it's a bit of a strange one, really, because I think initially um, I've always been a gamer from a very young age. Um, and I've kind of gone through a lot of career changes in my life yeah. all the way through. Um, my last job, I used to work for the career service itself. Um, and there's this thing there that we used to talk about, which is called happenstance, which is basically you just fall into things. And I think the last, basically this last event, having a game shop, is just something that I kind of fell into. By It wasn't a really kind of a plan. Um, when I got made redundant than the last one I decided that really what I wanted to do was to maybe go into more running events a little bit like this um, but taking it out on the road going to community centres youth centres schools care homes and introducing people to games and using it more for kind of like social learning um, that more serious game application which is something I really enjoy and and think about quite a lot but I found that there was a bit of a roadblock to some of that because I needed initially to have a brick and mortar store. Okay. So I kind of thought, well, yeah, I can run a game shop. I kind of opened one up and that's the kind of route that I went. 
And now I realise that I can't do the events because I'm running a game shop. Yeah. So it's kind of fallen out of favour. But at the end of the day, it's, as I say, it's always great to come to things like this yeah. and just touch base with people. You said something that I think resonated a bit there, where you mentioned the, you know, the social aspect or the the way of of helping people with games sort of thing because obviously you know that's something that's very important yeah. to, to me with 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 this sort of mental health stuff i'm just curious if you get many people coming by the shop who, who've had similar things to what i've had where they've had issues with social anxiety or just anxiety in general and board gaming has helped them yeah most definitely i mean it's even something that i can talk about in my own kind of past is that i've used one of as I said, without getting political or without kind of worrying about like some of the environments that I've worked in, because I've worked with different groups of people yeah. from all over the world. And part of that was I've done some advocacy work. And when you're working with people, it's amazing how if you get like a backgammon board out or a chess board or a deck of cards and all of a sudden those barriers are no longer there with people mm-hmm. and you you can engage with that all the time in that kind of environment. And sometimes it just helps people, as you said, with social anxiety. Um, if they're if they're struggling with maybe a language barrier or just having you know kind of real some real social issues as well, um, it can help. And I've seen it, you know, definitely on a face to face. Yeah, okay. from a face to face experience. Yeah, from myself, yeah. from my own point of view. You've been running the shop for what four? It's five years, years five now. Years. I'm in my fifth year now okay. of running. Uh, like the shop, um, and it's in its third incarnation. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I was only aware of the, yeah. the previous one to this then. So what, where was, what was the original? Because we, when we initially set up in Warsaw, it was, um, I was working with another couple of um, couple of lads, you know, on this kind of thing. And, yeah. and, you know, I wanted it to more be working like a cooperative, but unfortunately, you know, things change, businesses don't succeed. Yeah. But I kind of always kind of push forward and was saying like, no, this is something that I think is really important for a local community to have. Um, and I think it's it's worked well. I think it's worked very well in Warsaw. I mean, like some of the guys who come in, you know, you talk about social anxiety, yeah. but you talk about guys who, you know, 17 to 25, that group seems to be disenfranchised a lot of the time. They don't have any other places to go apart from maybe, say, a public hub pubs or... Yeah clubs or whatever but that might not be something that they want to do mm. so they get an avenue to be able to come in meet friends and um, play some games and really engage in a lot of stuff and it's really good from that point of view as well do you find that a lot of that age group who well do you get a lot of people who just wander in without really knowing what they're doing yeah do you know I what think I mean? so yeah or they'll they'll hear something on like say YouTube yeah uh, which is a great one you, you think about like or their friend has told them or they've they've heard something about Yu-Gi-Oh or Magic the Gathering or you know they've heard about board games or Dungeons and Dragons Dungeons and Dragons at the moment is an amazing thing when you think about like the art from that RPG point of view it's like there are so many people like Big Bang Theory okay they're watching the show and they go maybe if they're playing it maybe I should go and have a go and have a look at it and that's one of the things that you are finding now more and more people are kind of tapping into what would be classified more as serious games Um, and people are actually now having a go and and getting a lot of fun and enjoyment from them and are coming back for it all you know I'd say quite a lot now okay 
Do you get a lot of... Because where you are based in town at the moment is obviously a supermarket right over the road. So I'd imagine you get a reasonable amount of just like yeah, people. Walking, yeah, walking we get, I get a decent amount of footfall. And you get people... Well, one of my favourite ones is now is always people like come back and go, oh, how long have you been here? And it's like, yeah, yeah. two years. <laughs> and it's like, you know, they've only just started to notice something like that. Yeah. But it, I think it's good. As I said, I think it's just... It's great that people are engaging. They're coming in. They're having a look. And even if it's... You know, they just they walk in and have around, and if it's not for them, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. But I think it's it. I for me, it's all about that community and family aspect. I've always kind of, even when I worked for the career service, I remember the last kind of year I was there, I was working on more and more on what were called uh, school exclusion. Um, so you've got young people who've been excluded from classrooms for for one reason or another. Um, they had low engagement. So if you took a board game in and you sit there and got them to roll a few dice, move a few counters, before you know it, they're working out probabilities, they're reading the rule book, they're improving their literacy skills, and they're negotiating and communicating with one another. And that's just, you can't, those kind of soft skills and hard skills yeah. you, are really a great way of, of, of doing it really through games. Something I've wanted to ask you for a while. You, obviously, when you get someone come into your shop, you get people from all levels of gaming experience, from complete noobs to people who've been playing <laughs> yeah. for years. But obviously, Neckbeards, yeah. I think is the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> people who really don't know what they're doing. What, how do you... When someone comes into the shop and says, I'm quite interested in, in gaming, what should I buy? Or what should I you know, get to get my family interested or whatever? How do you... Like gauge what sort of game would be the right game for that person. I think one of the things I like to do as well in the shop, and again, this is just something that I'm lucky enough to be able to do, is actually just sit and just run through a game with someone quite quickly, even if it's just a short 10, 15 minutes, kind of just a reality check of yeah. what a game might be like. And then you get some people who want to kind of grab a big box game like straight away, say like, I don't Twilight Imperium or something ridiculous but they, they, they're sworn off those kind of things anyway we, Ticket to Ride say for instance yeah. or Catan um, again they're kind of very good kind of gateway games but you need to take a step back sometimes and just think well are your family going to engage with this are your friends going to engage with this you might be into that um, so I say like you know maybe come along experience a few games see about teaching it and then just sort of taking it from there. We still do. I mean, you still get people who, you know, they'll come back and they go, yeah, that was great. We really enjoyed it. So I tend to look at, if I was going to ask someone from a kind of a, a lesser experience of playing games, just look at, I don't want to say simple, but games that are lighter. Yeah. You know, and you can get the same kind of level of enjoyment from it. If people want to play Monopoly, or Cluedo, or whatever, then play Monopoly and Cluedo. And that's, though you can use those as a gateway, you can use those to step up onto other things. I think he's on, um, am I allowed to mention other things, like Geek and Sundry? You can mention that <laughs> if you want to. We, I think we, we mentioned the dice tower. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. We've mentioned tabletop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I was thinking, there was, a, there was a, a graph that they used on there, which was all about how you've got games of skill, and games of chance 
And if you you can draw a straight line up the graph, you know, and games will fall either side of that yeah. or in equal ways. It's always nice to think that, yeah, even if it's a game of pure chance, um, you can still have fun from it. What's, there's nothing wrong with rolling some dice yeah. and doing that. But if it is a game of skill, like you know, like a, a lot of the Flickham games or um, games where you're trying to manipulate the board or your resources, yeah, that comes with time, and, and you you might learn a different skill set from that. But yeah. I'd, I'd never say like you know, don't play a game because it's it's just pure dice, or don't play a game because it's it's going to be too heavy for you. I think. There's there's a balance. There's something for everyone in those, and it's working out what it is. I think if you get get attached to the themes, I think that's what ten people find as well. Mm-hmm. You you, I've quite recently had you know you get guys who come in and say, look, I used to play Hero Quest when I was younger. I'm now looking for a game. I know you can't maybe get Hero Quest now, but I'm looking for a game that's similar to that mm-hmm. that I'm going to be able to sit down and play with my two boys and. Yeah, I can suggest games like that, and yeah. that's the kind of the way that I like the way that the industry works that way as well. Sounds good. So you've obviously started to run events. Well, not events, but you do things like um, you have that evening at the Bakehouse every other. Yeah, other every week. two weeks we have yeah a board game evening at uh, the Bakehouse, which is Tom Williams at Artisan Bakery in Warsaw. Uh, we meet up there at six till about nine nine thirty. Um, and again, that's going very well. Yeah. And it's a great way of getting people to just come down and just enjoy the environment, play a few games with a few, you know, a few of your friends, or meet some new people and have some great cake. Mm. Oh yeah, he does love it. <laughs> and his pizza is lovely as well. Yeah, he does some great food there. To be fair, he's really good. And again, it's this. You know, we've got another lad now, Mike, who runs um, a Sunday board game group um, once a month. Yeah. On the last, uh, on sorry, on the first Sunday of the month, I run another board game group on the last Monday of the month, which is um, at a local pub, um, the Fountain, which yeah. is another. That's a great way of doing it, and it brings people into different environments, and you know, a chance to not just experience kind of new games, but to socialise as well. And you might get the odd person in there who looks and sees what. Oh yeah, what, what's going on here? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember the, this is one that this is months ago. We took the game in Clask. Have you ever seen Clask or no. played it yet? Okay, Clask is a, a great game. It's sort of like a air hockey. Is oh, the best way of describing it. Yeah. With the magnetic little shuffleboard yeah. underneath and. Um, we were playing that in the pub, and before we knew it, everyone was getting involved in it <laughs> and wanting to have a go. And uh, yeah, it's it's nice when that happens, and you get some real good fun. And you do get people looking over and, like as you say, kind of having a bit of a shufty. And you run Magic and Yu Gi Oh. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do like a lot of the card games and kind of board game evenings, and we do some of the the war gaming as well. I'd like to say that we, even though we we don't stock certain um, lines of miniatures Okay, <laughs> we do have plenty of the others I mean I do have a lot of historical wargaming stuff which is more towards the lender what I have um, and again you know if people want to come in and they want to check out some of the different rule sets for that that's one of the things is really good as well I think I've heard when I've been there and some of the board game nights I 
sometimes you'll hear the RPG guys in the oh, room yeah, next door yeah, yeah. as well. Some of them and the, be quite low. the thing is as well, I mean, the shop is not the biggest of places. I mean, I've got two rooms upstairs, which is they, they can utilise, which yeah. is great. But as you said, like some of the RPGs, I wouldn't say they get out of hand, but they definitely have a lot of fun. Yeah. And you can hear it when they, when they yeah. go and something... Obviously, something hysterical has happened in the game. If you could pick a book or a film or a TV series to make, in, what would you have made into a game? Um, okay, I mean, that is a really good question. So I'm just trying to think of which one. What would I have? I don't know. I think I'm... Highlander, I think, might be quite a nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think Highlander might be a nice game. Uh, but it'd have to be a kind of like a you'd have to have this kind of quest where you'd have to have maybe several of the immortals yeah. going through and then it'd be end up like being a talisman kind of game I guess if you've got to get to that centre but you've got to take out all of the other immortals first before you can achieve yeah. it yeah. I'm coming to Kickstarter soon then have you ever done much in the way of game design you you ever tried to um, only at a very early age yeah. I used to do I mean oh man I think the first game I ever ever kind of made was for me and my brother and my sisters and it was based on a last Smith and Jones oh yeah <laughs> which was the cowboy series but it was just like a it was a very similar to a kind of a snakes and ladders kind of thing but you went up through the and you were questing across the prairie and you had to do like these small quests and catch the bad guys and yeah it was that kind of thing but I don't know I've, I've, I wouldn't say I've been to a few things that were like workshops and which we've even had at the yeah, shop yeah. you know that kind of like simple get simple game design or working through that um, and it's fun it is it's quite enjoyable um, but I've not really had that much involvement with it I don't tend to homebrew to be fair a lot of the stuff even when I've been, because I used, I'm quite a heavy role player as well. I've done like a lot of RPGs, um, and I started very early. I think what 1982 um, was when I first picked up Dungeons and Dragons and playing it. Then showing your age, right? I know. And then I went on to do uh, things like RuneQuest and Call of Cthulhu, and and throughout all of that, I had friends who. They did, I always seemed dissatisfied with the rules, so they always wanted to write their own. And so I always felt as that, well, you can just adapt what's there and we, and we can see what's going to happen yeah. from that. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I've not really done much okay. of that, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if people want to find out more about you and the shop, where should they go? Right, well, we, as we said, we're situated in Warsaw, um, Asgard Games. Uh, we're on George Street, and we're number 60, and we're opposite the Asda, uh, big one at the top of the hill, up, um, not that far from St Matthew's, the big church, yeah. and yeah, that's about it really. I mean, we're open every day, apart from a Monday. On Saturdays and Sundays, we only tend to open until about 6 o'clock in the evening, but the rest of the week, um, we open till around about 7, but then in the evenings, there might be events that are going yeah. on. So if you go past and you see anyone, yeah, more than likely we're running an event. And uh, you're on the web, asgodgamesuk.co.uk. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And there were, um, 
as I said, we're on Instagram and a few of the other yeah. things as well. And so Facebook Twitter. as well. And yeah, you follow Facebook. the events on Facebook. I do, yeah. I keep. I try and keep, make sure that people, you know, we've got like an event page. We've also got a couple of uh, groups as well that are associated with the Facebook page, yeah. which is, a you know, a great way for kind of... Another thing that I've always liked to think of is that a gaming community is a little bit like a road. You don't just get cars on it. You don't just get motorbikes on it. You get lots of different vehicles so gamers are very much like that there you get people who just want to do the rpgs guys who just want to do the tabletop the wargaming some people who just want to come in and play some cards and and that's great and it's just uh, made that so that they're all streamlined off one another and they don't have to read through all of the other yeah. stuff that maybe then so in dis, you know interested in so Cool. Well, thank you for your time, mate, and uh, we'll let you go up here, head there, and start. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Thank you very much. That was a pleasure, and uh, I'll see you soon. You okay. will, mate. Right, let's, let's see who else we can grab. Is there anybody left that we can grab? There might be one person oh, who right, we might be able person. to get. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so we've managed to grab Richard Denning. Uh, thank you for joining us, Richard. Okay. I don't know if you remember. Two, two years ago was the last time we spoke to you, and it was in the bar at the, the rugby, rugby club. club. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have any little children running around uh, no, this no. time. So um, let's talk about the expo first then. So right, yeah. yeah in the last two years, um, obviously we've been every year so far, and it's been getting bigger every year. You're across two halls this year, which was uh, yeah, hall one and hall two yeah. on, the, on the NEC. Um, it does seem to be. We always think every year, surely we're hitting a. There must be a limit here somewhere yeah. where it's going to stop, but uh, not, not not apparently so far. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, Obviously, with things like Brexit on the horizon, what's the, what, what, what does that mean in yeah. terms of things? Um, no one knows, do they? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. what, I, what I mean is in terms of... I mean, it doesn't seem at the moment to be having any impact upon the um, interest from you know, exhibitors, um, as far as we can see. I think we've got another year or so, probably before it has a... It really takes effect because, in theory, it's next March. Isn't it? But in reality, it's going to be a year or two after that. So we'll we'll have to see what happens when we actually get to that point where we know what it what it's going to do. Yeah. Um, hopefully, people will still be able to come to conventions in, in <laughs> around Europe, and companies will still be able to get their games yeah. around the place. Um, but you know, until that until we know how that plays out, it's difficult to say. But at the present moment, at least, the exhibitors seem to be um, still very keen on. You know, coming in perhaps a bit more space. You know, we'll, we'll see um, how that how that goes. Um, we sort of think we got to f- just under four hundred exhibitors this year. Wow. Um, sort of three nine five or something like that was the total numbers. So uh, that seems to be growing growing each year. Um, and those that are coming are getting a bit more space every year. Yeah. And our challenge, therefore, in the following year is how do we manage that in the space that we have? As we um, have. Hall one and hall two again. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, inconveniently, there's another event that sets up in hall three on the Sunday next year, mm-hmm. um, which would prevent us from having hall three. We can have hall three A again, which I don't know if you recall we had a couple of years ago. Yeah, we weren't entirely happy with it because there was that disconnect of having two halls that weren't directly connected. So this year is much better having the two directly connected yeah. with each other. We'll still be doing that, but it may be that we'll use if we if we have to use the space, then we would look at using it for perhaps tournaments um, probably put the bring and buy in there because <laughs> yeah. people will find that wherever it is uh, and, and, and things like that we might put we might put some of the stuff that people probably go go and locate yeah. either because they've got their events there or because it's the bring and buy um, 
possibly some of the open gaming space, although I think we'll probably have that maybe in Hall, hall 2. It really depends how much of that that we need for the for the exhibit, the trainers, exhibitors. Um, we feel like we want to make sure we get that balance right between the different elements of the show. We don't want it all to be trade. We yeah. want the other bits are important, I think. And uh, So it's, that, it's getting, that, getting that right. Um, I'm sure you could fit more exhibitors in, but then you'd have to sacrifice the... Like the aisle size, and I think yeah, I, I, at the moment is very very good. I mean, we've looked, you know, we have had a preliminary dispute. One of those conversations is, do you do you reduce the size of the aisles? And, and then people don't understand. They're not very keen on the idea because it cramps people. And actually, it's it's, it's now a, a moot point because we uh, just to hypothetically explore it. We were at the NEC this week and have now meeting, and it's one thing that's come up, but one or two suggestions have been made and. You know, we're not necessarily we're not really keen on it actually, really, because of exactly that feel of the show. Yeah. But but let's get it on the table. Ask the question: How what the aisle sizes have to be? And basically, because it's a public show, we can't go below yeah. the, the, the three meters anyway. Um, aisle space within things like the tournament areas and stuff like that potentially can be fiddled around with it, maybe. But within the the halls, um, you've got to you've got to you've got to have three meters because it's just the safety of that, that many people in that amount of space. So, and I'm actually personally glad about that because I think the I, I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to be too claustrophobic. I remember the old days back in the Clarendon Suite. I don't know if you ever went to the. the we went to the last one. Yeah. The I remember one of the aisles there got down to four feet wide. <laughs> that was a that was a bit of a yeah. tight squeeze. That was somehow. I think I think the, it's nice to have the, the the space that we've got there, yeah. um, but it's a challenge to think how do we. How do we manage to get everything in? Uh, if you know the exhibitors are wanting more space, yeah. there isn't really much additional. There's a little bit of void space that we didn't use this year, um, but we're only talking a couple hundred square meters. So it wouldn't take much, you know, to, to eat that up very yeah. very quickly. So we'll, we'll look at that. I mean, we, we're thinking that there's there's some areas where we maybe be able to be more efficient with the use of the space, you know. And, uh, um, but you know, that's what we, a lot of it depends when we go to Essen, and we, we, we that's our main point in the year when we we have all the meetings yeah. with all the exhibitors and by the end of that we get a pretty good feel for what the demand is you know if we come back from Essen and 80% of the space that we've got has already gone then as this year we went and we only had Hall 1 mapped out on the, on okay. the exhibitor pack um, yeah. and that was all we were selling to we were selling people space in there and then we got back and realised we'd already used 80% of it by the time we got back <laughs> so you know we then opened up Hall 2 for, yeah. for the you know we, originally we were just going to have half of Hall 2 tournaments and open gaming yeah. um, but it became obvious very soon <laughs> in January by January we would have already sold quite a bit of space in there because we just had to the demand was such um. I mean from from wandering around I think the way it was set up was very good in that most of the, the indie publishers were up there in, in Hall 2 I thought it was nice to have that you know you've got all the big guys yeah. in, in Hall 1 but having every, everyone who was independent and there was a lot of camaraderie between the, the different stores you know I think it's good I mean I think there wasn't I mean, the, there's often very little um, deliberate intent in the exact placement of things <laughs> in that we don't specifically sit down and say, right, we're going to have sponsors in these yeah. areas, we're going to have these big guys here. There's a certain amount of geography, which means that your big aisles, spaces have to be in certain bits of the hall because if you start off with something 10 metres wide at the front, it's basically got to go all the way back 10 yeah. metres wide. So that means that that you know, it's a big Tetris thing, and obviously the big, the big, the big squares are going to fit into the those areas, and that then means that the the, the, the thinner, well, the sort of not so wide aisles, the four meter ones and the six meters, will be uh, on a different yeah. area. And because a lot of your indies tend to be on the little stands, then by 
a consequent domino effect, as it were. They yeah, tend yeah. to be there, and that just, and, but that does create quite nice little areas, as you say. That tends to have really quite interesting stands. Quite yeah. often, I find that some of the more, you know, um, novel or new ideas come out of those yeah. those areas. There were one or two of the one or two of those sort of more medium-sized companies did end up in Hall Two because they were, um, you know, latish yeah. to getting round to getting booked, but. Some of them actually said they could they, 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 they want to stay there because they felt there was a you know it was quite a reasonable traffic in yeah. that area you know so but no no it's nice to have that that, yeah. that, that, that unusual. I mean we collection. were doing an interview with someone and they they then told us to go and speak to someone else yeah yeah which was which was quite nice you know they were they were all really getting on with it yeah no, there's a lot of that goes on in the and I think we there's, we were often trying if we can to um, you know we, we were we were just doing one of them games in there and somebody was asking about how do they they're an artist actually um, do digital um, more digital games than um, um, you know analog sort of tabletop stuff yeah. but uh, how do they get uh, into you know being an artist for game design and things and I said well to be honest the best thing is to go to shows yeah. and just start talking to them the, the, the easiest way is actually go and talk to the indie guys because the big companies are likely to have their whole load of artists and things but the smaller companies quite often won't have anyone particular yeah. actually they're looking for hopefully somebody that's not too expensive yeah. they can come along and do it so yes it's and, and then recommendations go along go a long way you know somebody uses someone they tend to get recommended on to to others you know um, i don't think there's any harm in that i think um so although there's got although there's a degree of competition obviously with it between all these different uh publishers and designers there's also um a sort of slightly bigger level sort of thing about trying to keep the, the industry going yeah. um, and that often helping each other out in some ways doesn't doesn't hurt you know, so yeah, absolutely let's talk about um, attendance then it's gone up again this year, yeah uh, when I finally got the maths right so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, uh, we at the show I'd sort of, we, we actually announced initially the figures wrong but in, 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 a, in a good way and then we found it was bigger than oh, that okay. again uh, we, so we got 22,000 uniques thereabouts this year mm-hmm. from, from um, I think 16,500 or something like 16, that yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the attendance is now sort of around 39,000 or so from um, so that's Jumped a lot from thirty two thousand again, so yeah, I mean that's another thirty percent rise. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the show I sort of managed to somehow miscalculate the although I got the attendance numbers right because um, the people with tickets and things, so, you know, each of those are a certain number of days. Uh, I completely when I might my calculator that works out all the individual unique people. Yeah, I sort of like accidentally uh, ignored the Saturday um, turn ups on the day, the one day ticket holders on the Saturday, which is quite a large chunk of, yeah. <laughs> of numbers. So I remember saying to Tony, the other director at the time, yeah, I think we had about nineteen thousand. He said, oh, that seems a bit low. You know, I'm sure we've got more than that, and you know, actually about three and a half thousand. <laughs> Missing tickets that I eventually, eventually realised. Yeah, we have. We've got. So I okay, we went to it at the end of the show and said, "Well, I've got some good news and some bad news." You know, the uh, the uh, he said, "Well, go on. Then what's the uh, you know what's the what's the bad news?" So, well, I've got the the figures wrong. Uh, but the good news is it's, it's it's better than I thought. Yeah. So no, I mean that's again, it's it's difficult to predict what will happen the following year. You know, or do we start to hit that you know levelling off at a normal level, or does it go up at thirty yeah. percent? It's done about thirty percent in the last two or three years. Um, so, and people say, "What are your projections?" And it's, "Well, how do you, you know, how do you pro- how do you project we, that?" Yeah. You know, it's very difficult to say. So we we tend to work on trying to have capacity for about twenty percent growth, 
but we try to do the maths of the, uh, the budget on the basis of zero growth um, and see what happens each year. Yeah. Are you, have you ever thought about extending it to more days? Or? Well, I think the, the, the only problem with that, I think, is that from an exhibitor's point of view, that people, generally speaking, only have a certain amount of money in their pocket, as it were. And whether they're three days or whether they're there four days, they're probably only going to end up spending the same amount. Yeah. Um, so, from an exhibitor's point of view, an extra day means an extra hotel room uh, to pay for, and all the all the additional costs yeah. there. And if actually, so there's, you know, I think they tend to find that the four day shows quite often are quite quiet, um, considerably quieter on the Sunday because mm. you know. So I think at the moment they're, they're the. Um, from an exhibitor point of view, there, there doesn't seem to be a massive demand for that. I suppose we'll take we'll take a view as it each year. Yeah, we yeah. have a look and we we see. But we have, what we have to look at is think. Well, do would we if we were to add another another day on to the to the to the to the show? Well, that's another you know whatever tens of thousands of pounds um, you know rental on the room on yeah. the halls and things, which would mean we'd have to have a considerable additional attendance or. Yeah. Exhibitors paying more, which you know they're not necessarily going to be telling happy exactly. about. So for them, for that to work for them, they'd have to be seeing an increase in sales. You know, so I think the mathematics of it at the moment seems to work on the three-day yeah. uh, basis. You know, we tend to have a bit of early opening on the Thursday evening. We try and have something happening then. You yeah. know, a bit of open gaming space available. And we did the uh, show preview this this year on the Thursday, which I was quite worried about when we moved to the Thursday from the Friday morning. So I thought, well. Are you know the likes of you and other folk going to yeah, come yeah. on Thursday night? Um, because you know it's 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 asking a lot. Another, again, it's another night probably. Um, well, they've got to leave work early to to, to get there, but that wasn't a problem. There, there was a you know it was a quite um, busy you know busy session with more more media than we've ever had before. That, that was you know. going to be my next question because yeah. I mean we. The, the the size of the or the number of exhibitors there compared yeah. to last year was hugely impressive. I mean, I said we saw Mick on the Saturday, and I said to yeah. him, you know, it must have been a hell of a logistical nightmare sorting all that out. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, actually, we there's, there are things we need to still fix with the preview. <laughs> we realised I suddenly realised ten minutes before the end of it that we scheduled the open gaming to start, and I had no, I'm not, not left any time for a turnaround. Oh, right. We were using the same space, weren't yeah. we? Uh, so that we've said all time. Okay, well, we, we, there's enough room in that hall to, for us to do the preview over there and do the um, the open gaming over here. And then, then if we, when we decide we're going to open for that, we don't have to shoo out all the all the traders and all, yeah. the, all the media as we had to do this time round. There was, um, uh, but you know, you know, live and learn from these things. You know, uh, but no, the, the turnout was was pretty pretty impressive, really. So I think yeah. clearly there's enough. Interest there for doing that event on that evening, and I think we, I think it could have run for another hour or so if we'd let it. If we just let it alone, I yeah. think people would have, you know, people would have quite happily buzzed around and done a few interviews. Yeah, I think or, we only spoke yeah. to like four or five yeah. people. Yeah. So I think the thought this year is that we will have it in two areas of the hall, and we'll allow allow the preview to carry on a bit longer until it's almost like naturally fizzles out. Yeah. Bit, you know, and then we'll have open gaming over there somewhere, and uh, <coughs> people can come in and get on with that. Because the opening on the Thursday night helps with the bring and buy. Um, yes. Because the you know, we can be the largest bring and buy in the world, I think. Because at least we, we we claim it. No one said we haven't got it at the moment. Yeah. So, um, and I can understand why at certain points of the shows have stopped doing that because it's such a huge demand for it. And how do you, you know? How do you how do you manage it sort of thing? And you know, we've, we've computerised it for years now. That seems to have coped. But even now, we're, we're starting to find, and it's you know, the, the size of that is yeah. you know we, we they did a 
what's it, £190,000 of, of, of trade in there, wow. uh, which was more than double last year. Um, so we're going to have to have another look at that and in terms of the size and the um, more space for uh, everything that's in there because the, the demand is just immense. But clearly there's a, there is a demand for it. I think it's a, a popular bit of the show. Yeah. It? Just, just you can keep on, you know, so you can keep on expanding the space, but there, there are costs to that in terms of also the staffing and the yeah. IT and everything else. But it's, um, it's so we, 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 apart from it being a popular thing for people to recycle their old games and get a bit of cash to then spend on the new ones, it's a good, it's been a, a, a successful way of doing a charity, you know, donation. Yeah. So we, you know, we've just sent uh, almost twenty thousand pounds to two, two different um, charities a week or two ago, from mainly from the Big and Buy and a few other sources. Like uh, Paul Grogan did a very successful um, charity raffle on the stage. I think you know, charity. No, he did the raffle, charity raffle on this Saturday night, which which brought in several thousand. There was the charity auction and the um, auctioneer chap quicker yeah. uh, to was doing again um, and there were a few other bits and bobs that chipped in and uh, got us to almost £20,000 okay. you know so we'll carry on doing the bring and buy but it's um, we look at it every year and think how do we cope with this next year so that's going to need some thought I think yeah, yeah. okay and the live shows I mean we went to a couple this year and they were pretty much sold out so they yeah they seem to be popular I mean it was a bit of a punt a few years ago I went to the fringe just with the family actually um, mm maybe five years four years ago now five years ago and uh, happened to go to the dark room and I just thought you know maybe doing something like one or two things like this at the, the expo yeah. would, would, would work and you're always thinking well are people going to you know they come to the show they want to do gaming would they, will they go and do a show but actually I think in the context especially if people are there for three days yeah. you know having a break for an hour or so sometimes actually works quite well yeah. um, you know you've been running around playing games all day and doing an hour something different isn't it yeah. So no, they all seem to work pretty well. I mean, we may have a bit of, we may rotate if, um, the, the exact lineup because we, we've got one or two that we've run for quite a while uh, that maybe um, we'll then look for something new. Um, so actually, going off to the fringe again in a few weeks' time. So um, um, we'll look up, probably keep an eye open for something new. Um, yeah. Well, James is doing a show there, isn't he? He's got his board game Smackdown show. Right. Yes. 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 We've been trying. We've been to. In fact, he's done. He's done one or two games based on that at the expo before now because he's done the live pandemic. Yeah. Tom, the dice, the um, Rubik's Cube chap was um, seemed to go down quite well. Tom, Tom Crosby, um, whiz with the Rubik's Cube, is an amazing show. Um, and then the um, Nightmare Live, um, yeah, that's a popular one. I think, I think there's, a, I think clearly there is there's a demand for those. I think people felt fine that it's part, it's part of the the whole thing, of the whole package, as it were. Yeah. Just to, you know, and to, to go and do a show for an hour or so, it just it just is. You know, it's more than just 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 the you know, go, um, go and play a few games, but you can do a few other things as well. That just make it a fun weekend, hopefully. Yeah, and you can stay at the people in the swimming pool in Hilton. As you well. can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can stay back. So, yeah. so uh, let's move on to uh, Medusa Games. Then mm-hmm. uh, you've yeah. got your Fly Machines game here. Yeah, how has that been progressing over the last couple? Of yeah, years? well, it's going to be out at Essen. Um, this year, we'll uh, be ready for that. We, in fact, this week we were uploading the first art files to the to Luna to make the games in Germany. Um, so we, it's, it's been now. Uh, sorry, somebody asked me how long it would be in the, in the pipeline. So I think it's three years now. It'll be wow. um, from the first sort of uh, preliminary prototypes and things that we had going. Because so I think it was on the way to Essen in 2015 that we had the first 
sort of version of it on, okay. the, on the boat. Um, we do this thing occasionally called Ferry Con where we'll play a game on the ferry. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes the prototypes of games people have got in the pipeline sort of uh, get played. So that would be great fire was, the very first version of that was, many um, years ago on the way to Essen. And again with uh, Fly Machine. So yes, it's going, um, we, 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 we'd be out at Essen. And, you know, the artwork is all looking now pretty good. It's the same artist that did our Nine Worlds game yeah. a couple of years ago. So I think, I think the, uh, the look of it looks good. And I think it's, it's one of those games which you know, is going to appeal to people who um, like a certain amount of chaotic sort of games. There's certainly opportunities for, you know, doing the odd dirty on other people. And so you've got to think Excellent. about sort of, you know, uh, wacky races sort of vague elements going on and yeah. sort of the fly machines maybe with, with elements are in there a little bit but hopefully it isn't entirely about that there's plenty, there's plenty that in there to sort of mitigate a little bit about either luck or uh, you know bad things happening um, so you know you can in, in the full game you can do quite a bit to choose your the right pilot and the right equipment to modify the plane to around a certain strategy yeah. um Planes all do are slightly different. Some of them have lots of cargo space, some of them, so you can you can carry lots of things to get extra points. Some of them are faster, and you can grab, you know, take the lead in the race. Okay. So the gist of it is that it's based on the early air races of about 1911, 1910, um, where the Grand Britain race of 1911 had 32 entries, but only four four of them got only four of them got all the way around Britain. Okay. Uh, the fourth one I think came in a month after the other three. Um, so it was a time when the air, air, air travel was obviously novel and new and dangerous. So we, we're trying to have that in there. There are you know, a degree of elements of chance and things. So yeah. you, you are, you know, you are having to do tests and rolling dice and things. And whenever dice are involved in the game, there's elements of chance and luck, aren't there? But you can yeah. you can mitigate that by spare parts that you can pick up, especially equipment and abilities the pilots have to do re rolls and various things like that. Um, and and it isn't just about the race you can also um, have a strategy that involves getting lots of points by um, picking up and dropping on passengers because in certain of those races there were bonus points for the first to deliver a passenger to Glasgow oh, okay. or something yeah. and that sort of thing uh, likewise you know the first to do a, a, a cargo delivery you know or carry the mail or something like that um, so we try to bring that in so you can you can you can follow different sorts of slightly different strategies um, in the game um, and so I think it, hopefully it'll be it'll suit the sort of players who like um, you know a little bit of randomness a little bit of chaos at times in certain sort of fun uh, type games uh, but we've got the strategy in there as well so you can you can, you can come up with a plan and try and follow it through yeah. um, so it isn't all random chance you know so that's, um, hopefully we've got that mix right we'll, we'll see how it goes yeah uh, have you got anything else bubbling away in your brain that you're working um, on? Well, we're sort of working on a... Because Great Fire, Great Fire London came out in 2010, sort of the first game, and um, we've been sort of working on an idea for a Great Fire Chicago okay. variant. Um, there's some interesting elements to do with what happened with the Great Fire that, we'd like, that, we're, that we're bringing into that. So that's something that we'll probably start um, bringing out prototypes at shows and things in the next year or so. Um, we've got a couple of um, lighter... Um, games that we we may do the next year or so that are uh, we actually had a, the, the world exclusive playtest here um, uh, okay. uh, earlier today um, um, uh, called King of the Castle, which being based on the, you know, the children's game King of the Castle sort of thing. 
Um, but the idea that we, we, we've had a, sort of a, a couple of sort of bigger games in the last year or two with Flying Worlds and now Flying Machines. So we kind of thought, thinking you know, probably we could do with a, a slightly easier year or so uh, in terms of the you know getting the games together and yeah. the something like a light, easily accessible you know, family game would be the way to go. We might redo the artwork on um, and actually re-release Tinker Tailor, um, which is sort of light card game that we did that went down quite well in terms of gameplay if you can get people to play it. And the main thing that makes people not play it is that they quite often um, um, and at these days you've got to these days you've got to have um, really some professionally produced artwork really to to to, to uh, now I, I actually quite like it as sort of um, the, the artwork in, in Tinker Tailor because it was a but it was done by a friend who was just a, isn't a professional artist who just did, yeah. did some fun fun artwork and um, and I think um, whilst you know it's uh, sort of fairly quaint and quite sort of fun the, uh, the, the problem nowadays is to, to get attention in the cramped market yeah, you can't draw people in unless you've got that yeah, one you've got to have that for, you know, first impact yeah. and I think um, so I think if we the, the, the artists that did Nine Worlds and, and did um, um, Fanny's doing Fly Machines I think we could produce some really good art that would work with that yeah. um, and then hopefully I mean, that might be released that would then do, would do, would do fairly well um, so I think those are and there's other things bobbing around but um, you know we'll we, we tend to say each year with Medusa that um, we'll see how things go at Essen you know and how the latest game goes and if it if it um, you know uh, if it goes well then we'll, we'll move on to the move on to the next one yeah. if it's not so well then we'll have a, then we might have a uh, we might say well that was fun now <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> somebody else can make some games for a yeah. change um, but it's been, you know, it's been, um, you know, each, we get to a certain stage with it when we think, well, are we going to do this now? And think, well, you know, we're really, we're now, we're really now past the point. That we, so with Fly Machines, it's been bobbling around there for three years and we, you know, it'd be nice artwork there. And we almost did it for last year in Essen. Um, but then we realised it, it wasn't ready. You know, the gameplay yeah. wasn't quite there and there were various elements. And I'm glad we took the extra year, both to get the artwork be- um, better and uh, more developed, but also just, Elements of the gameplay so I am now, and it's it's shortened. It's become a strip more faster play game than it was previously. Um, and as soon as we play a play a game of it this afternoon, it seemed to get down quite well with the four of them playing it. So yeah, quite pleased with that. Okay, then we should well best look for the expo next year. Hopefully, yep. we bigger and best than ever. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And uh, thanks for taking half an hour to have a chat okay. with us today. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. So that's it from the great indoors. We're now going to go out and play some more games. Thanks to everyone who took time to be interviewed by us today. We really appreciate it. And everyone knows how they can find us. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Just go to whatever that is slash Togcast. To listen to us, if you go to soundcloud.com forward slash offline gamer, or you can now search us on whatever your platform of choice would be. Yes, iTunes, Google. I think we're on Google Podcasts. And Overcast, we're on that, because that's what I use. So, yeah, whatever. Um, We've got a YouTube channel, but the address is horrible and not easy to type in. So just go to www.offlinegamer.co.uk and you can see all of our YouTube videos as well as links to everything we've just said. Um, And if you want to get in touch, you can email us on offlinegamerpodcast at gmail.com or there is a contact form on our website. And so, yeah, that's it. We, uh, that's everything. Yeah, we'll be back next month, as usual. Yep. And uh, it's, what, what month are we in? It'll be August when we record our next one. Oh, we're yeah. almost coming up on our three-year anniversary then, aren't we? Yeah, we are. 
Is that in August or September? Mm, I don't know. I think it's borderline. Yeah. Okay. Well, it might. So next next episode might be our three year anniversary, or it might be the one after that. We will see. So yeah, we'll see you next month for episode thirty three. Bye, everyone. Bye.